faces, but there's also a lot of new people who've never seen me before in your life. Um, I'm from Harlow originally. Um, I was actually dedicated in this church uh, when it was the old building, and I, you know, grew up in Sunday school here, and for the last seven years I've lived in Northern Ireland, so you can hear me, but whether you can understand me or not, I'm not sure. My accent's going through this strange hybrid phase, but I hate it, I'll be honest, I hate it, but um, no, it's a true joy to be back. I'm a pastor, I'm the pastor of a church uh, an Elim church in a place called Donakadi in Northern Ireland. It's a, it's a coastal town. <laughs> Shut up, Whittam. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, so in Donakadi, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a lovely place, and, and the church, have, have, with their blessing, allowed me to, to be here today, and they send their regards. <clears throat> this morning, in, in front of me and in front of you, is the Harvest Collection. And I don't want to assume that all of us would understand why we as a, as a church here or why we as Christians have, have a, a moral responsibility or a duty to look after those who are less fortunate than ourselves. And so for the next 25 minutes, I want to sort of unpack that a little bit as to, as to why do Christians, why should we help the poor? Why should we, you know, collect food to send to those who, who can't provide for themselves? And to be honest, I don't need 25 minutes. All I need is 25 seconds. Christians should care for the poor because God himself cares for the poor. Thank you for having me. It's been great. I'm joking, obviously, although some of you probably wish I weren't joking right now. But... I say that, I say that because um, I would like to think that all of us in this room right now are on the same page in this issue. I would like to think that we're all singing from the same hymn sheet here because what I'm about to say this morning, I don't think is controversial. And being a pastor in the 21st century, preaching a message that is not controversial is a blessing. So I'm, gonna, I'm grateful this morning that I'm, I'm not going to say things I hope that are too wild. But my prayer for us this morning is that God will, will reveal to us a new angle on this topic. Because what I believe God is saying to us and saying to myself as well is not just that he cares for the poor, but just how much he cares for the poor. As we know when we read the Old and New Testaments, we know that that God has made it abundantly clear that he cares for the downtrodden. We read in the book of Leviticus in 23.22, God is giving the Israelites, uh, the, the landowners, a command. And he says this, he says, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing among you. But then God backs that command up by saying, I am the Lord your God. So in the Old Testament, God is commanding uh, landowners that when it comes time to harvest their fields, that they're not going to harvest to the very edges of their field, that that they're not going to go over the field twice to make sure they've got every little bit of harvest that is theirs. Rather, 
They should leave those for the poor. They should leave those for the foreigners who, who don't have the land themselves to collect. And as we know in the New Testament, Jesus would regularly have compassion on the crowds. And he would multiply uh, loaves and fishes to feed them, but, but not to get anything back from them. But he would feed the crowds and then send them away so that they would get home safely. We know that God cares for the poor. But he makes it abundantly clear in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. If you have your Bible with you this morning, either on your, in a book or on your phone, please turn to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. We're in Isaiah 58 and we're starting from verse 2. And now this is important for us because God ties specific blessings and curses to his people looking after the downtrodden and the hungry. And the context of Isaiah 58 is very interesting because on the surface, the Israelites looked like they were doing the right thing. Isaiah 58 from verse 2 and May God bless the public reading of his holy and inerrant word. It says this. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. And seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And we'll leave it there for a moment. So here in Isaiah's day, the Israelites on the surface, they were doing what they felt they were required to do. But in their trying to be obedient, they were actually acting in rebellion against God. And unfortunately, in the Western church in 2021, it can often be the same today. It can often be when when people are living their life and everything isn't going their way, or when they they face trial or or they come up against something that they they don't enjoy, there are many Christians who will turn around to God and say, have I not been going to church? Have I not been singing your praise? Have I not even been tithing faithfully? But Christianity is not a surface religion. We may appear to do the right things. We may even convince other people along the way. But God doesn't look at the surface things. God looks at the heart. The Israelites here, 
Well, they were ticking all the boxes. But their heart had missed the whole point. And we actually hear God's response to them in verse 6. God responds and he says to them, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Verse 8, and and listen to God's promise to those who do this. Verse 8 says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer You will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. You see, the Israelites, they were neglecting the poor. The Israelites, they were were fighting each other. They were hoarding their wealth. They were being selfish, all under the guise of obeying religious requirements. And sometimes that can happen in churches too. Sometimes in churches there will be division, there will be infighting, there will be hurts, there can be neglecting of the poor. All the while that can happen with everyone involved under the guise of, I'm a good person, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I do this. But then the people can wonder why a church has lost its witness in the world. People wonder why a church isn't seeing the fruit of its ministries anymore. The Israelites were wondering why God wasn't answering them anymore. Why why wasn't God pleased with us? God, why aren't you noticing the things that we do? It was because they were so focused on themselves that they were neglecting the poor. Yet even amidst this messiness, God provides a truly wonderful promise to his people in verse 9. Verse 9 says this, that, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild age-old ancient ruins and you will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. What a statement that is from God about how much he loves and cares for the poor. 
Can you see that? that? That God loves the poor and cares for them so much that if they are neglected by his people, then he will take away his people's witness. That he will not answer them in their time of need. But the opposite is true too. That if God's people faithfully and humbly help those in need, not just with finances, not just with checkbooks, but but with their lifestyle, with their attitudes, then God will meet every need of theirs. And he will empower his people to be a powerful witness. Their lights will, will rise in the darkness. They will repair communities. They will re-raise the age-old foundations. They will bring restoration. In other words, God is not messing around when he says that he loves and cares for the poor. In fact, it is crucial to the health of any church to look after those less fortunate than ourselves. As we know, during our short time on earth, God doesn't promise us to have extravagant wealth. God doesn't promise us to have the best sport cars and and mansions and stock profiles. We aren't generous as Christians only when we are assuming or expecting God to grant us back more. As Christians, we're generous because God has been generous to us. And even if we never see that anything return back to us this side of eternity. Jesus said, build up for yourselves treasures in heaven. On numerous occasions in the Bible, there is judgment for those who who hear the outcry of the poor, but then do nothing about it. We read that in Proverbs 21.13, which says, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. But someone here may may turn to me and say, Josh, yes, okay, but but that was Israel. Yes, okay, but, but that was the Old Testament. And Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament on our behalf so that we no longer have to live by these requirements anymore. And to that I say, Amen. Jesus has completely fulfilled the Old Testament for us as Christians. That we're not under law, we're under grace, that that by faith we receive justification, we are forgiven of all of our sin. But when I read the Gospels, Jesus comes along and he, he doesn't just uphold this Old Testament teaching, Jesus takes it a step further. Because Jesus associates himself most strongly, not with the religious, not with the Pharisees, but with the downtrodden. And with the broken, even to the point where Jesus equates our actions towards them as our actions towards him. We read in Matthew 25, verse 34, it says this, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him 
Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Verse 40 says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Why should Christians care for the poor? Because God cares for the poor, both inside and outside the church. So the next logical question then is how? How can we as Christians care for the poor? Well, there are two primary ways. The first is pretty obvious. The first is by offering practical assistance, meeting physical and emotional needs of those who are downtrodden. And I'm not sure if you can relate to this. Maybe this is just an experience that I've had in my life. But, but I find often it's the people who have very little who are more generous with what they have than those who have a lot. Often it's the people who are, are more likely to share from what little they have than the people who are hoarding everything for themselves. And actually, we find evidence for this in the Bible. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the generosity that, that God brought about in the Macedonian church. And the Macedonian church was, was dirt poor. It was going through tough times. Yet their generosity was overflowing, and they, they delighted in serving God by, by providing for Paul and the missionaries to take Christianity across the world. And I believe if people who have very little are eager to to share, eager to give generously from the little that they have, that should challenge us in the West to be generous as well. Not all giving has to be financial either. Whilst not everyone has the same level of wealth, every person has the same amount of hours in a month. Giving our time, using our energy to help those in need is is often very sacrificial and and sometimes it can even be more sacrificial than just writing a cheque or donating money and not thinking about it. But life is busy. Not everyone can give time. Not everyone can give their their energy to organisations. Maybe it's through work. Maybe family life is taking up a lot of time. But you can still play your part because one of the best things a Christian can do for somebody is to pray for them and pray regularly for them. The church praying for people in need is very effective. Because, church, I want to be honest. When I look at history... And I look at my life. I have no answer for why God has been so generous to me. I genuinely don't know that that even through a pandemic, I've had clean drinking water piped into my house. I've had a roof over my head. I've had cupboards full of food. And the shops where I go shopping were, the shelves were restocked every night even through a pandemic. When I read the Gospels, I know that if I lived my current life back then, I would be considered disgustingly rich. 
the, the comforts that I have now, that, that I take for granted now, weren't even dreamed of in Jesus' day. That, that not even Caesar, the, the emperor of the Roman Empire, not even Caesar had the comforts and the convenience that me and you enjoy every day. And right now, our standard of living in the UK is far above billions of people on the earth. Individually, yes, we may not be that wealthy compared to our peers, compared to our friends, but globally, we must thank God for those blessings. Because the thing that humbles me most is, is not only has God graciously provided and poured out all of these blessings during my vapor of a life on the earth, but, but those good things are a glimpse, a hint of the goodness that God is preparing for his church for eternity. And as the church, not only has God provided our physical needs, but he has provided our spiritual needs as well. He has forgiven our sin and declared us justified. God has adopted us into his family for eternity because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And speaking of eternity, that brings me to my final point this morning, the final way we can help the poor in this world. Because meeting the practical needs of the poor is important, but bringing the gospel to the poor is necessary. Helping to meet practical needs is desirable, but meeting the spiritual needs of salvation is essential. And if ever there was a choice between offering practical assistance on one hand or bringing the gospel on the other, there is no question there. It's the gospel. And I'm reminded this time of year as the nights start to draw in, as it starts to get cold, I start looking forward to Christmas. So forgive me, but I'm going to bring a, a message from Jesus' birth very quickly because when the news of Jesus' birth was announced to the world, it was shown to the wise men. It was shown to, to those who could afford to travel the world. It was shown to those who had all of the knowledge, all of the wisdom, who could buy gifts and travel safely. They had influence. They were the smartest people around. Yet who was it that the angels went and declared personally the birth of the Saviour to? It was the poor shepherds, those who had no knowledge, those who had no influence or wealth. In fact, they were outcasts. And I love that image of, of both the, the great and the small are included in the news that, that this saviour is born, that, that humanity, it doesn't matter whether you're from a high station or a low station, Jesus is relevant to you. Jesus also said that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when I read that, I think of celebrities... I think of footballers, Instagram influencers. <laughs> but there's a lot of people in the world who would read that and think of somebody like me. But not all poor people will be saved and not all rich people will be lost because God calls who he calls. And God may call someone to a life of luxury. God may call someone to a life of living month to month. But one thing for sure is God calls them to a life of service and servitude. And from my reading of history, 
The world has never been changed more than when God takes someone of no regard, of no station, of no wealth, anoints them with his Holy Spirit and changes the world through them. I'm reminded very quickly just at the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus didn't go to the temple courts. He didn't go and find the most promising young scribes and the, and the best young Pharisees who show the most promise to, to teach them and, and allow them to take Christianity into the world. He didn't do that. Jesus chose uneducated laborers and fishermen. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Because we know that if a king changes the world, that's one thing. But if someone from nothing changes the world, that can only be attributed to the power of God. Christians should evangelize the poor because the poor are the greatest resource of the church. And before we pray, as a pastor, I just want to say that for me personally, if for whatever reason someone gave me a choice in my church of you can either have one working class person who is baptized in the Holy Spirit or 10 middle-class faithful givers who only go to church because it's the cultural thing, I would take the one. Because that one would open up more ministry opportunity for a church than money ever could. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, we thank you that as a church we're able to, to provide from the generosity that you have given to us, Lord, to give back to those most in need. And Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, grant us a generous spirit in our hearts, Lord. And Father God, I pray, Lord, for, for myself and for anybody in here, Lord, who, who maybe has in the past not been as generous as we should or could have been, Lord. I just pray, God, that you would forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us with your Holy Spirit, to reflect the generosity of our God back into this world. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you pour out for us every day. We thank you, Lord, for the roof over our heads this evening. We thank you for the clean drinking water. We thank you for the food, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet together as a church this morning, and we're not worried about who's going to break through that door. Lord, we thank you for the freedom we enjoy. And Lord, I pray that we would not use that freedom uh, badly we would not take that for granted lord but you would equip us to live for you for your kingdom for your glory in your power in jesus matchless name we pray amen